Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I'm going to start out with a miracle story. So this story, um, I'm going to like set the scene and you guys get to actually see it um, live. And uh, so... I have two kids. I have Jack, who's six, and Ella, who's eight. And every night before we go to bed, we ask them, like, what do you want to pray for? What do you want to ask God for? And this night, it was a couple months ago, Jack said, I want to pray that I'll get to pet the wild bunnies. And he loves bunnies, you guys. It's his favorite animal. And every time we see the bunny, we go run and see him. And, you know, if anything, bunny knows anything about wild bunnies, they, like, take off, like, the second they see you coming, right? And... And so I almost talked him out of it. I almost was like, Jack, you know, they just, that doesn't happen. You know, bunnies, they won't stay. You know, bunnies, uh, they're, they're afraid of us, you know? So I don't think you should pray that, but I, I prayed. And uh, so the very next day, that was a Tuesday night, Wednesday, I was walking down like our stairs that are, that are outside that lead to the back door to where Jack and Ella's room is. And I see a bunny. And I've literally never seen a bunny on the side of the house before. And so I like went and got went and got the kids, and then I'm going to show you what happened next. I touched the bunny. What's wrong with him? Are you okay? Are you okay, bunny? What's wrong with him? I pet a bunny or something. He's a sticker. <laughs> I touched a bunny! Good, the bunny. Remember you prayed for this, Jack? Yeah. Look at it. Jack, do you see, remember you prayed for you to be able to pet the bunny? Oh, can I keep him? <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Oh my gosh, so we were literally petting that petting that bunny for like 20 minutes and we like were feeding it we were feeding it lettuce and and bananas and like just living our best lives but you didn't hear in the video or me talking out loud being like oh my gosh what's wrong with the bunny like he's probably sick he's hurt like what is wrong with this bunny why is he staying here you know and so I was like, you know, in my head going, oh my gosh, I should probably call animal control. Like, I need to get animal control's number because I don't want, I don't know what to do with a dead bunny. And, and so, it, so we were like, we're again petting it. So I went back, we went up back upstairs and because he was just chilling, you guys, he was just chilling. And so, uh, so we went back upstairs and I was like, okay, God, just wrestling with God. Like, this doesn't happen. Like, bunnies don't stay, you know, bunnies, they run. Like, this is, like, this, there has to be something wrong, you know? And I'm just like wrestling with God. And I was like, okay, God, if I come back down and that bunny is gone, then I know that this was you. And lo and behold, I walk back downstairs 10 minutes later and that bunny is nowhere to be found. And I was just like, 
oh my goodness, like just so overwhelmed with the goodness of God, that God would send this bunny and bring this gift to my son who forever now will be able to draw back from this experience and know that like I could pray for anything, the big and the little things, and God will answer me, that God cares about even the little prayers that I have. And then on the other flip side of it, seeing his mom, who's like the woman of God and the pastor here, and it was like, you know, like literally trying to talk God down to what my level of faith was. And, you know, just like literally like, oh my gosh, like this thing, this doesn't happen. Like this can't happen. We can't just pray for something and then it just happens, you know, like there has to be a reason for it, right? So this is where I knew God was, you know, highlighting an area of my life that I needed to get a little bit of correction in. And so that is what's really, you know, I guess was the birthing of this message. And so today we're going to look at a few attitudes of the heart that might be getting in the way of receiving all the promises that God has for us. And so the title of my message is Attitude Adjustment. Ah, yes, it's going to hurt so good, you guys. Attitude Adjustment. So we're going to look at three different stories in the Bible of, uh, you know, some people who were presented with the promises of God and what their reactions were based on what was going on in their hearts. And we're gonna look at four different attitudes today. And I remember one of my mentors telling me one time that we're either moving, like we're either growing with God or we are going backwards. There's no middle ground with God. Like we, are, we have to be moving forward or we're actually going backwards. And so when God brings things to our attention, that's actually an invitation for us to bring things to him because he wants to reveal it because he knows that we're ready to actually address it with him and grow with him. And so, you know, I'm just thankful that God brought this cute little bunny this time instead of the tornadoes that he used to have to send my way in order to get my attention. Like he was like, it was like hurricanes and tornadoes were like my my thing back in the day. And so, uh, so you know, this is this is the time that, you know, we can reflect and, you know, ask God to say, you know, what, what attitudes do I need to address? Are we ready? Are we ready, guys? Are we ready? So a first attitude is the attitude of unbelief. And okay, you guys, if this sounds familiar, I'm telling you that Last week, if you were here to hear Pastor Jurgen's message, it was, you know, first time I had heard it, you know, he did a video message, and he's speaking, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm speaking on. Like, I literally had this all written out, like God had already spoken to me, and this whole thing I'm just about to talk about, down to the scripture, of the psalm that I'm going to read, like, literally, Pastor Jurgen was, like, did that whole uh, part of his message on what I'm about to speak about. So, you know, obviously, you know, Pastor Jurgen stole it from me, so... Um, <laughs> Um, you know, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have to let him know later, but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, uh, he, you know, so I just know that God is speaking to us. You know, when he does things like that, then that means like we need to pay attention, right? So Luke 4, 13, it says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. And skipping down to verse 18, it says, and Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words will be, and they will be fulfilled in their own time. So here is Zacharias, a 
well-respected priest who, as you see, struggled with an attitude of unbelief. So him and his wife, Elizabeth, were barren, unable to have children. And in biblical times, that was one of the hardest things that you could walk through because children were your legacy. You know, children were one of the most important things in that culture. And, you know, you actually looked at, you were looked at as cursed if you were unable to have children. So you've got to believe that Zacharias, you know, really carried a tremendous amount of shame, of sadness, of disappointment, you know, and, you know, he, he had grief in his heart. And it's probably true that he had really given up on God by this point, that he didn't think that God was actually going to come through. And I think it's so cool that one of the first things that the angel addresses is his heart. And he says, God is going to bring you joy and gladness, that he's just saying like, you know, God, I see your heart. I see what you've gone through. I see all the tears that you've cried. I've seen the heartache that you've gone through. And I'm here. I'm going to deliver. I am going to heal those things in your heart. And so that's, that's God's, you know, first thing that he does for, the, for us. You know, he, he, he speaks to our heart and he wants to heal our hearts. And I think about this exchange with this angel, right? You know, like, okay, think about like an angel like visiting you, right? And you're just like, you know, are you pulling my leg? Or, you know, do you think you have the right person? You know, is am I the right Zacharias? You know, you're like, you're an angel. Like, I'm sure like you have GPS, you know, like I'm sure. And so, you know, isn't that what unbelief does, though? Isn't that what unbelief does? It robs us of the wonder of God. And, you know, it really makes us a slave to the impossibilities that we see in front of us, what our past has told us, in the, you know, and what our circumstances are currently telling us. And, you know, you can have an encounter with an angel from heaven, and you can have an encounter with a bunny who you just prayed for, for literally that to happen, and it happens, and you don't believe it. And so we become blind to what God, we really become blind to, to see what God is doing in our lives when we carry that, that, that attitude of unbelief. And so I, I can speak, I'm going to talk a lot about and pull myself, pull myself under the bus a lot in this in this message, so this is where I start that. Um, so you know, I walked through this this attitude of unbelief for a very long time. I did not believe God would bring me a husband. I did not believe God would you know had my best intentions at heart. And you know that was like the biggest desire of my heart was you know waiting on God to bring me a husband. So I completely took him out of it and I took total control. I did not consult him at all. And you know I chose really unwisely. And I ended up, you know, choosing somebody, almost got engaged three months away from our wedding. We, um, or he, I found out, was living a double life. And he was sleeping with prostitutes, with men. Uh, he was addicted to drugs and, you know, all these things had no idea about. So totally living a double life. And, uh, you know, go figure. We do things without God and it doesn't go well, right? It doesn't go well. And, uh, you know, this actually started my process of surrender. And when I say started the process, you know, you would think I'd be like, I'm ready to do it your way, God. You know, like I'm so done with, you know, with, with, with the control, you know, and, uh, but it was just a process. And that's a lot of times what happens. So I started with, okay, really weak prayers. God, I, I want somebody that believes in God. Okay, so, um, so I ended up meeting a guy who was a, a Catholic guy. And he was like a CEO Catholic, like, you know, Christmas and Easter only. And, you know, did not like actually have a relationship with God. And, you know, maybe went once a year, you know. And then, 
uh, and then the second one was a guy that, well, then I, I, I upped my prayer, okay? And I was like, well, he has to be like walking with God, okay? So then he, I, I met a guy who like kind of walked with God, but he was totally like, you know, double-minded and totally like a lukewarm kind of Christian. And so I was just like, okay, that's, that's not it. So got me to the point where I was like, I want a sold out believer. I want somebody who's gonna lead my family, who's gonna lead me, who is walking with God, and I am not gonna settle for anything less. And so he brought me, or I, I ended up meeting a guy who was all of that. So he checked all of these boxes. And, you know, he was, he was actually a worship pastor. He was, you know, somebody who walked with God for a really long time. And I was like, yes, this is it, God, this is it. But he had this these circumstances in his life that were really messy, and I knew God wasn't calling me into that. And he said no, but I was like, but God, no, but this, you, you said this, and this is what I prayed for, so I'm just gonna keep going, unbelief, still guiding the way. And so I remember taking him to church, and it was the day Pastor Jurgen was speaking on the gift of tongues, and I had been prayed for it, but I hadn't received it yet, and I really, really wanted it. And so after his, he was done with this message, uh, he had a call for, you know, people who wanted to come up to receive it. And so I was like, yes, like, I, I'm going to go up. And then I look, and he was, I see the guy, and he's like, you know, arms crossed, sour look on the face. And I was like, do you want to go up? And he was like, oh, no, oh, no, you know, so all the judgment. I was like, oh, shoot. So, you know, I'm just like in my chair, close my eyes, wrestling with God. And God clearly said to me, he said, if you stay in your seat, I cannot move in your life, and you've chosen your plan and not mine. And so I was just like, oh, no. So I was like, I was like um, led, you know, going to the altar. And so I, I went up to the altar, and uh, after that, I got prayer, and I received the gift of tongues. And I'm telling you, like, so much of my life changed after that because I, I had the um, I had the, the authority now to walk out the obedience that I didn't have before. It became so much easier, but I also know that, that I believe that God was, that, that was a test from God, that he had to know that he could trust me, that he had so many great things waiting for me, but he knew he had to trust, or he had to see that he can trust me with all of those things. And, you know, he wanted to get me these things, but I first had to submit that area of unbelief. And so many of you guys know how the story turned out. So God, you know, gave me the biggest gift of my life, Morgan. And yes, and like a prayer that I could have never, never imagined. And what I've learned is that God isn't trying to like take good things from us. He's always trying to get better things to us, but sometimes he has to take like the seemingly good things that we think are good from us to get us the better thing. Does that make sense? I don't know, but like uh, that's just like the kingdom of God. It's just like this kind of backwards things that happen, but he, he always has our best interest in mind. So just remember that. And what are ways that we can combat this spirit of unbelief? So what words are you speaking? And you see this in the scripture very clearly that Zacharias was literally muted by God, like silence, like shut up, like stop it, you know? So he literally was silenced by God because he was getting in the way of God moving in his life and getting in the way of the miracle that God wanted to do in his life. And so he was cursing the thing that God was trying to bless. So let's look at that in our lives. How are we speaking over our circumstances, over the things that, you know, 
know, just haven't happened yet. We've been waiting on God. Are we cursing those things or are we blessing? Are we saying things like, God, I know you're, you're never gonna move. You've forgotten about me, God. I feel so, you know, unseen. And, you know, it's good to say those, you know, to be honest with God. But if that's your language to him, you know, constant language to him, then that is an area that he cannot move. You know, are you speaking things like, God, I know it hasn't happened yet, but God, I know that you are faithful. God, I know that you love me and that you have the best things for me and that your mercies and your compassions are new every single day and that you will never leave me or never forsake me. So what words are you speaking? Are you speaking life or death? Life and death is in the power of the tongue, and that's what the Bible says. And so we have really, we have, we have control, you know, over those things. And so let's be aware of our language. And, you know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking because I thought these things. Okay. So, so how am I supposed to speak life if I don't feel it. If I haven't seen God move, if I still, if I feel disappointment, disappointed, if I feel hopeless, if I haven't seen him move, how am I supposed to speak life? And so the answer to that is in Psalm 78, 40 to 42, the importance of remembrance. And Pastor Jurgen spoke about this. This is the verse he stole from me last week. Uh, but um, <laughs> so how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy. And you know, they, they turned their own way, they forgot what he did, and then that spirit of unbelief just took root in their hearts. And that's why it is so important to be in church, into the house of God every single week. That's why it's so important to be at men's and women's prayer every single week. That's why it's important to be in a connect group because you're gonna be around other believers who, where God is moving in their lives. You're going to, you cannot help but be infected by faith when you're around other people where God is moving in their lives. And sometimes you have to actually borrow faith. I know when I was going through you know, the toughest seasons in my life where I felt so forgotten, I needed to borrow faith because I couldn't muster it myself. But that's why it's the importance of remembering. And in men's and women's prayer, I mean, half of it is we just talk about God's story. And we just see what God is doing in, in people's lives, the big things and the little things. And that's what you can draw from. And the thing about unbelief is that, you know, it actually like, it actually will take away your vision. So, you know, you're gonna, you're, God is moving in all of our lives, but we can't see it. A lot of times we cannot see it if we just have that clouded view of unbelief over us. So we need to be around people of faith and borrow people's, people's faith sometimes. And so the other thing that I found um, is it's cool because God has patterns in the, in the Bible, right? So in Deuteronomy, before the Israelites went into the promised land, God gave them what was called the Song of Moses. And he knew that they needed this um, in order to sustain them, in order for them to remember what God did. And the Song of Moses was basically just talking about what God did, that he delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians, that he delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, that he, you know, parted the Red Seas, that he took them through, you know, to, through the, the, the Red Sea, like he parted the Red Sea for them, like what the heck? Like he did all of these miracles for them and they needed to remember and they, and it actually sustained them for a really long time. You see that they went from victory to victory to victory, you know, until, you know, like time went on, time went on and they forgot. And then the victories started getting, you know, less and less. And so that is, you know, if it's a pattern in the Bible, then it needs to be a pattern in our lives. 
All right, so attitude number two. All right, are we ready? So attitude of familiarity. And this is, um, I'm going to talk about the, the, the people of Nazareth. So this is the, the hometown of Jesus. And uh, in Luke 4, 22, it says, So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And I'm going to skip down to verse 28. And it says, So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which the city was built, that they might throw him down off of the cliff. So this, in this scripture, Jesus just read out of a passage in the, in the scroll of Isaiah that was really telling what, uh, who the Messiah is and what he came to do. And so he was revealing himself to them and saying, this is the promise of God that you have been waiting for. The, the promise is fulfilled right before your eyes. And, you know, these are people that grew up with Jesus. I, I read that, um, I think there was about no more than 450 people in the town of Nazareth when Jesus, um, when, when Jesus was alive. So, I mean, they were like, they grew up together. You know, Jesus was a baby. They saw him go from a baby to a, to a, a teenager, to, to a man, you know? And so they had, you know, experiences with him, common experiences with him, probably ate together. They knew his family. They played games together. I mean, I don't know what games, maybe pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> Okay, that was really bad. Um, so, <laughs> so you know, they, they, they were familiar with him, you know, and they, they saw him do these common things. So what I found is the dangerous thing about familiarity is familiarity makes the common, sorry, I'm saying this different. Okay, I'm gonna say it again, start over. Okay, the dangerous thing about familiarity is that familiarity makes the holy common. It makes the holy common. And the thing about when we become too familiar something with something, we, you know, we, we stop giving or we lose our ability to honor. We lose our ability to honor. So I think about a new car. So if anybody's ever got, ever got a new car, you're like, I am taking meticulous care of this thing. I'm not going to park by other cars. I'm not, I'm not going to eat in my car. I'm going to wash it every day. I'm going to wash like the wheel wells. I'm going to like things that you would like never do. Right. And so you take like complete um, total beautiful care of your car because you you revere it so much, right? You're like, you know, I want this to look pretty, and I and I have you know such reverence for this thing, and you know, then time goes by, and then you're like, oh well, it's fine. The kids can eat in the car, you know, it's fine. Like I I park next to the car. Oh shoot, I got my first ding, and then it's just like it kind of just loses its value. It starts losing, you know, just just the reverence that you you put towards it, and after time, it doesn't hold the same special place that it once had in your life, and you just get sloppy with it, and I feel like that's just such an analogy for what happens sometimes, especially for us who've been in church for a long time, that, you know, we really lose, you know, that ability to see God and, and, and put him in his proper place sometimes, and we have to be really aware of that, and to never let the things of God become ordinary, you know, because when we see something as, as ordinary, it'll diminish our ability to, you know, extend honor and give value to it. So let's ask ourselves, are we putting God in his proper place? So, you know, are we just checking the boxes when we 
um, our, our, in our devotional time with God, you know, do we have the attitude of like, we get to spend time with the creator of the universe who knows every single hair on our heads, who knows our hearts intimately, who has every answer that we need. Like we get to spend time with him. Like this is like the biggest privilege of our lives and he wants to speak to us. Is that the attitude that we have? And the other thing is when you're coming into the house of God, you know, what attitudes do you have when you come into the house? Are you like, oh man, I'm gonna check my, my um, football scores, you know, I'm gonna not throw you into the bus. I mean, you know, I used to do that too, okay? So I was a Charger fan before the Chargers left. Um, so yes, uh, so I get it. Uh, but you know, are you like thinking about Monday morning or like lunch today or, you know, like we are responsible for the atmosphere of our hearts. You know, we have amazing worship. A worship was amazing today, you guys, like what? Like, I can't even believe we have this, you know, just this talent that we have here. And, you know, they, we, we, you know, we usher in, you know, the, the atmosphere of God, but it is up to us. We are responsible for the atmosphere of our hearts. So we're asking God when we come in, like, what do you want from me today, God? How can I bless somebody? You know, what, what could I be, what could I do to be used in the house of God today? Can I give somebody a smile? You know, can I like bring a word to somebody, an encouraging word to somebody. So, you know, we are responsible for the atmosphere of our hearts. So come expecting, because God wants to move. And so, all right, our third attitude. All right, you ready? <sighs> third attitude. So, attitude of comparison and envy. Mm -hmm. All right, so this, in the same exchange that we're talking about um, with Jesus and the people of Nazareth, Jesus is reading their mail, you guys. He is like, you know, reading in, in, in the part where he talks about that, you know, he sees that they are jealous, that they are envious because they've been hearing that God is doing all of these signs, wonders, and miracles all in these other cities, but he hasn't done it for them yet. And so they're like, you know, hello, what about us? Like, we should have special privileges. You know, you grew up here. And the other thing that I didn't get to read in those scriptures, I don't know if they can bring it back up, but it was, you know, basically Jesus brought up, I mean, randomly, like he brings up these two people uh, in the scripture. And one of them is Naaman the Syrian. The other one is the widow of Zarephath. And those are people that received miracles from God. And, you know, basically those two people, what they have in common is that they were Gentiles. And so Jesus is like poking the bear. I love Jesus. Like, it's gonna be so fun to meet him. But he was like poking the bear because he was just like, I see you. I see that attitude. I see that comparison and that jealousy. And, you know, he's just exposing it. And, you know, because it was like, we're the chosen people. We're the Israelites. Those are the Gentiles, you know. So that was actually like super offensive to, to them. So... Uh, and this, you know, this story shows how far this attitude can go if it, it, if it remains unchecked. So, you know, it started with mocking with Jesus and then discounting Jesus. And then they tried to murder him. I mean, they tried to push him off a cliff. Like, how does it go from there to there? I just, but that's what happens, right? Like, if you look at this, this spirit and this attitude, the spirit of envy and comparison is a tactic of the enemy to try to kill the plans and promises that God has in our lives. It is a serious thing. So, and I know this very well. So once again, um, just, you know, throwing myself under the bus, but you know, this was something I struggled with a lot. So especially in that season of waiting on God to bring a husband to me, and when everybody was getting married, everybody was getting engaged, all, you know, all my friends everywhere, I felt so forgotten, you know, and uh, I, 
would like be happy, you know, of course I was happy for my friends, but it would always turn back to what about me? And it would be like me going home, crying, having a pity party, asking God, you know, why have I not received, you know, why is everybody else getting these things? Why, why, am I, why are you holding out on me? Have you forgotten about me, God? And, you know, I, I can tell you um, that it turned also into something even uglier. So I would be like, you know, God, I have sacrificed in this area. God, I have been obedient in this area. And I don't know if that person has, and I don't know if they deserve their miracle. And I don't know if they're as holy as I am, you know? So uh, why are you guys looking at me like that? Like, um, don't think you haven't done the same thing, okay? You know? I mean, pride is so ugly, right? I mean, we're human. We think those things, right? But it was something that was pervasive in my life. And, you know, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. So if you want favor in your life, then it's all going to start with humility. And I knew this was a stronghold in my life, and I knew that I did not want it. And you know, I asked God to remove it from me, and I asked him again and again and again, and I remember the day that it actually broke off of me when I had a friend, it was a family member, actually, who she was trying to get pregnant for like five years, did all of the interventions, and nothing happened, and then they took a break, and then she ended up getting pregnant naturally at like 41, and it was just like this wild miracle, and I was so excited for her, and I was like waiting for that spirit to like to, to pop up and like it didn't. And I was just like, I knew it broke off of me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel so free. Like I can actually freely celebrate other people's miracles and not make it always be about me. And so I know that that, and, and at, I could tell you like two or three months later is actually when I met Morgan. I know, it's so crazy. So it was just one of those keys that God had to remove from me in order to like prepare me for what he, the, the incredible miracle that he had for me. And so what is that solution to, you know, break off this attitude of envy and comparison and, and jealousy and all those things? And, uh, you know, it's just be honest. Like if you really see that, you know, be honest with God, be honest with yourself and don't ignore it. And, you know, confession and repentance if you get anything out of this message, confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. That is the key to, you know, overcoming these attitudes. And so I remember just going like, God, I don't want these things. Like, I know it's so ugly. Like, I, I feel so in bondage to these things, you know, but I don't know how to change it, God. I, I don't, it just comes up naturally. Like, I, it, it just happens, you know, I can't help my feelings, right? I can't help my feelings, right? But God's like, oh no, you can help your feelings, like, but you can, you know, you you have the power, you know, to transform your mind. And so, uh, so anyways, it was a process for me, but it was coming to the cross. It was coming to the feet of Jesus and saying, I don't want this, God. I know that you have the power to take this from me. And I, I went time and time and time again until one day you'll wake up, the things that you have been going to God for and being like, God, I don't want this, God. I know that this is not this is not the best life that you have for me. And one day you're going to wake up if you keep going and keep pressing in and it will be changed. And you're going to be like me and be like, oh my gosh, I know that this is broken off of me. So can I get an amen to that? I know. Yay. All right. Mm. Cheers. I'll drink to that. So um, okay. So I'm, I'm going to um, end with this. Yes. I'm going to end with this. So 
What attitude pleases the heart of God? What attracts his blessings and his promises? And that's the attitude of surrender. And, you know, no other person, I don't think, walked this out in a greater way than Mary, the mother of Jesus. And in Luke 1.30, I'll read a little bit of it and, and paraphrase a little bit of it, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about the greatness of who the son of God is gonna be. And then she's like, well, how is this gonna happen? Because I have not known a man. And he says that the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and overpower you. And then your, your, your relative Elizabeth is also pregnant. And verse 37 says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Like that's my favorite scripture. Uh, Then Mary said, behold, this maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. And so what a beautiful exchange from a 17 year old girl who was presented with one of the most really difficult and most rewarding assignments this side of heaven. And she had such a beautiful attitude of humility and surrender. And, you know, she was actually willing to say yes to God, despite whatever it was that was going to cost her. And she, you know, she had to lay down her reputation. She had to risk that her husband was going to reject her, you know, hi, I'm pregnant by God, you know, and uh, he, she had to watch her son be beaten to being unrecognizable, to being tortured on a cross, to see him mocked, to see him die a, a brutal, horrific death. And... The other thing about it though is that, you know, she got to see the other side of it. She got to see the beautiful things that her yes involved. And she got to see him walk out his purpose. She got to see him be, you know, the savior of the world. And I know for me that in my in my process of surrender, I actually always end up exchanging the things that happen to be the 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 chains and the prisons that are around my around my life. And, you know, when I gave my life to Christ, I was, like, living for myself. I was, like, absolutely, like, it's all about me, selfish, like, I am living the party lifestyle, doing drugs, going to raves, you know, like, I was just, like, living for the moment. I was dishonest. I was just, like, you know, my character wasn't there. But really what was wrapped all around that was the fear and anxiety and um, depression and disappointment that that was just all masking, right? So when I decided to give my life to God, that's what I gave up. I gave up those things. What I thought were giving me life were actually the things that were causing me death. And I got to exchange an incredible life of what Jesus promises to give us which is hope and peace and restoration and joy. And that's what we receive, you know, when we give our lives to God and and when we decide to give him these attitudes of our heart. So I don't know what people came in with today. I know what you guys are struggling with today. You know, I don't know what disappointments that you are carrying right now. Um, If you're feeling tired or worn out or, 
you know, disappointed and, you know, disillusionment and hopeless, and maybe you recognize some attitudes in your heart that need a really a fresh touch from heaven. So you are in the right place. God says in 2 Chronicles 16:9 that the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And so his strength comes in our surrender. His strength comes in our surrender. So church, I want us to bow our heads. If we can bow our heads and close our eyes, and I wanna give people the opportunity who actually don't have a relationship with God and they know they need a change in their lives. They know that there's just something more. They know that they are at their end. They've tried everything else and they're desperate. And also for people here who you once walked with God, but you know, those attitudes of the heart built up and then you, know, you went back to a life without him. So I want you, I wanna invite you to come back into a relationship with God or come for the first time into a relationship with your heavenly father because he died on a cross to invite you into this very moment and he's been waiting for you. So he really, you know, what, what I said is with the exchange, he wants to take your pain, the shame you carry, the regret that you carry, and he wants to exchange it for a life of hope and peace and joy. But it first starts with this first act of surrendering our lives. So I'm gonna to count to three, and for anybody here who knows that they need to give their lives over to Christ for the first time, or that they took their lives back and they want to rededicate their lives. So I'm gonna to count to three, one, two, three. If you could raise your hand, I wanna know who I'm praying for. Come on, raise your hands nice and high. Yes, come on, Jesus. I know that there's people here wrestling with God right now. I know that you're wrestling with God, that he, your heart's pounding, you're like, I don't know, God, like, I don't know if I can do this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I bless you. I bless you. Thank you. Thank you, God. So, Father God, we're just going to pray this together, church. So, um, and for anybody that made that decision just now as well, um, this is for you. So, Father God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, to restore me back, to right relationship with you. I repent of my sins. I invite you to be the Lord and Savior over my life. Thank you that heaven is my home and God is my father. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.